Well, good morning. It's really great to be here with you this morning. And thank you very much for um, allowing me to be the speaker. Um, it's great to be here. It truly is. And, and I'd invite you to turn to be pleased to, uh, to Daniel chapter three. And I'd like to take a look at this, this, uh, this great account, this great story. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that I've been looking at this all my life. And uh, maybe you've been too, or maybe you haven't. Maybe this is one of the first times that you've looked at this Daniel chapter three, this fantastic, this fantastic miracle that happens in this, this Sunday school favorite. But there's so much truth in this um, that I came to appreciate, and I want you to come to appreciate it. I want it to be very personal. I want it to be personal to you today because I noticed this week, really for the first time, that if John the Baptist, what does he do? He does the right thing. He does exactly what these three men do. He stands up and he says to to this King Herod, look, King Herod, you can't take your brother Philip's wife and still be the king. And they shut John the Baptist up in prison for saying the truth. And they put him on death row. They put him on death row. And he's got a question. When his friends come, get this message to Jesus. It's not, can you bust me out of here? The question is, are you the coming one? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? And I thought about this as I looked at this Daniel chapter three, because see, if Jesus Christ isn't the coming one, then honestly, the quest continues in my life. Well, then what is it? Because I'm running out of time here. I'm missing it. This is an awfully complicated world that I live in, and we're all complicated people. But the message that comes back to John is, Tell John the things you see and the things you hear that the blind people see and the lame people walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised again. Yes, and over and and, and and overriding yes. And because he's the coming one, then John the Baptist can do death row. See, he's never going to get out of that prison. So, oh, king, you know, Will, will your God deliver you? Oh, King, yes, he can deliver us. He has the power to deliver us. But even if he chooses not to, even if he chooses not to, I'm not going to bow down to you. It's tremendous faith. And so, Lord, even if, if, if you choose that I don't get out of this hospital bed, I still am going to trust you. And Lord, even if there's some conflict relationally with of somebody in my family and I've done all that I can humanly possible right as your word speaks if if that doesn't heal on my end I'm going to still trust you and Lord even though this world is so dark and it really is I'm going to trust you I'm going to trust you yes and so I appreciate this passage and I'd like to take a look at it with you this morning um Daniel chapter three we read this, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's with 60 cubits, six cubits. He set, he set it up in the plains of Dora in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps and the administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps and administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar, 
this proud king, right? Nebuchadnezzar, when he spoke, people listened. You, you can just get that from, from chapter four and verse one, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all people, to all nations, to all languages that dwell on the earth, right? When Nebuchadnezzar spoke, people listened. As a boy, we used to have that commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. I, I think E.F. Hutton is out of business. I'm not 100% sure. But it's true about Nebuchadnezzar. If CNN was going to do this, you know, press conference, they would broadcast it from Sydney, Australia, from Paris, from London, from New York, all around the world. He was the man. His license plate would just say king. That's what it was. And he sets up this image. Verse one says King Nebuchadnezzar sets up the image. Verse two says King Nebuchadnezzar sets up the image. Verse three says King Nebuchadnezzar sets this up. <laughs> it's not repetition. The author of Daniel wants you to know this is all about the king. These Jews, they live in Babylon for 70 years in this pagan land. And a great theme that runs through their minds must be, is God really in control? Is he really here? Can he really save? This is an awfully confusing time. Friends, it's not so much different than today. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter, he speaks to us. He says that in the last days, scoffers are going to come and they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? And so you're at work or you're in your neighborhood or you're just living your life and, and you share the Lord and, 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 and people say, where really is the promise of his coming anyway? I've been hearing about this. I've been looking at bumper stickers all over town. Where is it? And maybe you go home and you say, Lord, where is the promise that you're coming? I mean, where is it? At the end of chapter two, you find Daniel's friends and they're promoted, right? They're given increased responsibilities. And years pass, many years pass. And so Nebuchadnezzar likes this idea of this giant image, this fantastic statue. He likes this fact that he's the head of gold. He loves accomplishments. Now, don't be so quick to judge. And I'm going to say that a couple of times this morning. Don't be so quick to judge because when you look, our society is, is such that when you look at our resume, when you look at my resume, when you look at your resume, it's all about your great accomplishments, who you've met, where you've studied, what you've done. All the language in the resume is, is it's, it's all magnificent. It's all about you. Enormous pride and satisfaction about what you've accomplished. But the God that we know and love and serve and we've been hearing about, this humility that he brought, he's not so concerned about this outward fleeting appearance of mine. He looks at the heart. He knows my heart. And he loves me in spite of that. And that's why he's the Lord. And that's why we can humbly bow before him, because as Paul was sharing in the earlier meeting, you know, the, the night that the Lord Jesus was going to die, he doesn't grab some chalk and say, okay, fellas, let's just go over a couple of my miracles or a few of my parables. Let's just go over this one more time. He doesn't do that. Instead, he gets down on his hands and his knees and he washes the feet of men. And he says, I want you to love your brothers just like I've loved you. And that's pretty, that's, that's very, very moving. 
So pride is a powerful thing. And pride runs through all of the Bible. After the flood, people wanted to build a tower. You know, let's make a name for ourselves, a tower that can protect us from the flood, a tower to heaven, a tower that we can reach the unreachable. And so today we do scurry around to find out whether or not we can't find some kind of satisfaction in, in whatever that might be, some kind of satisfaction and maybe a career or maybe in a spouse or maybe in some great vacation or maybe in, in some, some physical fitness program or maybe in something. But there, there was definitely pride in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And honestly, and thus the Lord changes you and fixes you. There's pride in our heart too. Still pride. Sin, sin remains in me, doesn't it? It doesn't reign in me, but it does remain in me. And so I get that part. That somehow or another, my accomplishments are greater than yours. I want everybody to know this. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. In the dedication in verse 3, all the important people are there. All the talented musicians are there. All the big shots are there. Verse 4, then a herald cried aloud to you. It is commanded, O people and nations, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre and the psalmistry and the symphony, you and with all these different kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So the king has this great celebration, you know. What an event. What a spectacular event. What a magnificent statue. And so that's what the people did. All the people and all the nations and all the languages, they all came and they all bowed down. And that must have brought a lot of joy to King Nebuchadnezzar as he's looking out in his magnificent palace porch and he sees this sight, all the heads and the bodies falling down. The people were just as senseless as the statue. And I think of that Paul Simon song where he says, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And that's what people do. The Bible tells us that after the Israelites came through the Red Sea and Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments that, that they fastened this golden calf, this golden cow. They were going to worship this golden cow. Moses isn't even in the camp yet. The very first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They're dancing around the golden calf. He's not, he hasn't even come down yet. And it's easy to be critical. It really is. It's easy to be critical. The question is, what about the idolatry in my heart? I don't bow down to golden statues. I don't bow down to golden calves. But idolatry is a real thing in the hearts of people. It really is. And it, it pairs very closely to immorality. They really go together. Idolatry of the heart, it exalts my agenda. It exalts my goals. It exalts my significance. It exalts my self-worth. That's what it does. And we're sort of wired that way. Nebuchadnezzar was, and the Israelites 
were as well. And the Bible tells us that these three weren't going to bow down. Friends, what would you have done? It's a fair question, right? Or can I ask you this? What will you do? What will you do? As our world grows further and further away from the things of God, what will you do? You know, in school, we, um, we have this professional development and we brought in this, this very educated doctor and she explained this new, this new trend called privilege and how all these different groups are privileged groups. And one of the privileged groups are Christians. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm not exactly sure what your definition of Christianity is, but this is not biblical Christianity. What you're talking about is so far from what the Lord Jesus spoke about as far as biblical Christianity is concerned. What would you have done in this situation? Would you have just said, well, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean... It's not really suitable. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. I don't know. Do we just sort of make different ideas up in our mind as far as what what sort of uh, works and what doesn't work? And it's easy to twist around, right? The Lord Jesus said when he was here upon the earth, he says, you've heard it said before, don't commit adultery. But he said, I'll tell you the truth. If a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery. And we could sort of step back and say, well, yeah, I don't know that he really meant that. You know, what he really meant was, let's see, well, when he reigns here for a thousand years and he's visibly in sight, then that that will apply then. Oh, how, how convenient that is. How convenient that is to just sort of turn and twist and make it comfortable and suitable and extract it. We make ourselves really vulnerable when the day comes, when we have to be obedient to the word of God, when we sort of play with different things here today. It's a hard question to know, right? What would you do? What would you do? Well, the Bible tells us that, um, that Nebuchadnezzar, it says that he got really hot. It says that, right? He got really hot. His face got really hot. I mean, how dare these three not bow down? How dare these three defile the king? The man, verse 12, there are, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they brought these men before the king. I'm going to have the conversation before the king. Can you just get a mental picture of this in your mind, what this was like? And you think of the courage that these men had, and you think about the faith that these men had. 
And Nebuchadnezzar is going to give them this one more chance, you know. How nice of him. I'm going to give you this one more chance. I'd love to know what your favorite verse is in this passage, in this beautiful Sunday school passage. But mine is going to be verse 17 and verse 18. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. That really struck me as I looked at this. Can God deliver me from financial distress? Of course he can. But even if he chooses not to, I'm going to serve him. Can God deliver me from the fact that my body is failing? Can he, can he fix me instantly? Of course he can. But even if he chooses not to, even if he chooses not to, I'm not going to compromise. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to compromise. And so the Bible tells us that they, and they go, you know, and they go and, 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 and I sort of, get such a, uh, I don't know, I get such a kick out of people who say, well, you know, these miracles in the Bible, it wasn't really, the fire wasn't really that hot. Oh, no. You know, Jesus didn't really walk on the water. It was sort of like um, an illusion. I mean, it was like four inches of water. Uh So you're going to tell me that um, there's a fishing boat that weighs half a ton and there's 12 guys in it and that boat actually floats in four inches of that's, that's greater than the miracle. We're not, going to, we're not going to fix the Bible. God knows what he wrote. The question is, what am I going to do in my life? Am I going to just bow down to the, to the gods of this world? Am I going to bow down to the passions of my heart? Am I going to bow down to the idolatry that definitely exists? Or am I going to have the courage from God's spirit to live in obedience before a holy God? Regardless of the outcome, that's hard. Regardless of what's going to happen, that's hard. Can I love my brother even though it doesn't really work out for me? That's hard. It is. That my brother's needs could be met even if mine aren't met. Or is this just really all about me? And this Christianity and these verses that I've read, they just sort of fit when it's convenient and comfortable. So when they go, and they go in the fury of this king, right? I mean, he's, he's so angry. And verse 31, it says, then these men were bound in their coats and their trousers and their turbans and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. You know, how is that obedience working for you, Shadrach? So long, Abednego. Where did it get you? God has really blessed you, hasn't he? It's hard. And then they go. You know, my friends, I want you to know that 
that the New Testament talks about trials. Actually, Peter talks about fiery trials. You know, I'm wondering whether or not he actually thinks about this Daniel chapter three. Fiery trials that God brings into my life. When I shun the trials, I I miss the blessing. When the trial comes, the fiery trial comes into my life, what, what do I do? I medicate it with alcohol? Do I run to entertainment? Do I just sort of, or do I allow the trial that God has provided to grow me? to be more like the Lord Jesus, because that's its purpose. When I shun the trial, I miss the blessing. God brings things into my life so that he might conform me into the image of the Lord Jesus. And so I'll share out with you that the progress in my Christian life, it hasn't really come through the success and the laughter, but rather it's come through the disappointment. It's come through the tears. It's come through the failure. It doesn't mean that I don't wrestle with God, of course. But I don't want to shun the trials. I don't want to miss the blessing. And Nebuchadnezzar, he says these words in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Can you imagine that? There's four. When is it that the Lord, and I believe it to be the Lord, right? Some folks would hold it to be an angel, but when is it that the Lord makes this appearing he makes it when they're in the fire he makes it in the heat of the fire i don't want you to miss the blessing and run from that and 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 run from the fire some of us are in the fire right now but i don't know you personally enough to know but but i i know that it's hard here and I know that there's, there's difficulties here. With or without COVID, there's difficulties here. Most of it stems relationally, I would think. I'm hoping that those trials, they would bring us to the feet of the Savior who has created us, not that he would mock us, but that he would elevate us in spite of, in spite of the frustrations and in spite of the disappointments and in spite of the tears that he is working in you, that he is working through you. That James could write, he could say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's a hard thing. It's a strange thing to count it all joy. But God allows those things into our lives so that we have the opportunity to grow. And that's his great goal. In this case, the Bible tells us that the Lord appears. It's just a tremendous testimony. The Lord appears and the king answers. And then he calls them out, come out, you know. The king has a change of heart, at least for a little while. He really does. 
And I'm glad for that. You know, the great evidence that we have, the great evidence that we have is the evidence of the resurrection. You talk about an escape from a fiery furnace. You think about the escape that the Lord Jesus, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. His body was in the grave and he came back to life. There are no odds against that. You can't print enough tickets that can cover the odds that somebody comes back from the dead. He did that. What a great testimony this passage in, in, in Daniel chapter three is to this king. But what a great testimony we have because we serve, we serve the risen savior and he's in this world today. And we have the opportunity to serve him in the midst of a lot of difficult things. So in this coming week, as we come to appreciate and close, just know that God is in control and that God can save on his timetable. And God will save on his timetable. We might not see it on this side of eternity, but God is working in you and through you if you know and love Jesus. And there's really no greater privilege than we have than to serve this God, this God of great, great creation, of course, but this God of great redemption who has made us sons and daughters and who has equipped us for all of eternity. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for your lovely son. And we thank you for this account in the Old Testament that many of us have been looking at for so many years. We thank you for the, for the faith of these three and for the courage of these three when they cried out that, that our king, our O oh, king, that our God can deliver us, but even if he chooses not to, we're not going to bow down and worship you. I pray that our hearts could recognize idols in our lives. And Lord, that there would not be any idols before you as we seek to serve you, as we seek to please you this week. For we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.